We're going to be in a number of different places here this morning. We're talking about the promises of God and how they can be compromised, how they can become corrupted. Because sometimes we don't realize the things that we're praying we think are the promises of God, but they've actually become altered. They've become corrupted. They become something different. And we put what we think is faith to them, but it's something different. And there's some of the reasons why some of the things we're standing on in the Word of God that's not working. This is part of the reason. So we're going to take a look at, at some compromises and some things that would, would go on. We're going to be in a number of different scriptures, but I got a couple of them for you here before we get started. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, we're going to read this parable from Jesus. Remember, there are three things that we need whenever we're going to ask God for something. Three things. Does First off, we need to know, does God have it? If he doesn't have it, he can't give it. You can only give what you got. So does God have it? Is God willing to give it? And what is required to receive it? Not all things have a requirement to receive it, but some things do. So does God have it? Is he willing to give it? And what is required for me to receive it? Now, if you want an example, the example we gave you before is we know that God has mansions in heaven. How many know God has mansions in heaven? He is not willing to give that to you now. He has it. He's got lots of them. But he is not willing to give it to you right now. He will give it to you, just not right now. So you've got to make sure that you find out what it is that God says. Does he have it? Is he willing to give it? And what is required of me in order to receive it? We get those things, as we were talking about last week, we talked about praying the promise, promises. Inside the promises of God is that, that he has it, that he's willing to give it, and what's required in order to receive it, if anything at all. When you have a promise from God, you have all three of those things in, involved. There's not a single promise made in the Word of God that does not tell you that, first off, he has it, secondly, that he's willing to give it, and third, what is required for you to receive it. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, it says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the wheat had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to, the, to him, Do you want us... Then to go and gather them up. But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. We see that a good crop was sown. But then the enemy came along and he compromised the good crop by sowing tares. And this is what the enemy does. Uh, I don't know if I put this in your outline. I may have. I think I. I think I did. I, I think I have left it in there. But Satan's purpose is to steal, crush, or corrupt. Now we know the familiar with the scripture: steal, kill, or destroy. I put it to you this way, so that you could you could see the relationship here. Satan's purpose is to steal, to crush, or to corrupt. In Mark chapter four, verse fourteen. The sower sows the word, and those 
are the ones by the wayside. This is the interpretation of the of the parable. And those that are by the wayside where the world where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So what's he do? He steals it. The first purpose that Satan has whenever the word is sown in your hearts is to steal it. He first off doesn't want you to have it. If you are going to insist on keeping it, then he's going to go in another direction. But the very first thing he tries to do is to steal the word away. To get it to be gone. That's where the birds come. And they came and they ate. Remember, in the parables of God, birds are birds are always bad. You can't have birds good in one parable and bad in another. Anytime you see birds in the parables, they're bad. If he had used cats, I'm sure that they would always be bad. But he didn't use cats. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. Yeah, these likewise are the ones who are sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So what happens here is that the people get the word of God, but they don't allow it to take root in their life. I've got it. It hasn't been stolen, but it hasn't taken root in my life. Because it hasn't taken root, the word will attract persecution. It will attract tribulations and the enemy will try and crush you to get you to release the word of God in you. Football season is over. But we all know that when in football and you got the ball, the running back, the wide receiver is carrying the ball. What is the defense objective? Get him to drop the ball. As long as he holds on to that ball, he's a target. And people are trying to get him. As soon as he gives up that ball, he's no longer the target. The Word of God makes you a target. Some people look at that as a bad thing. But don't look at it as a bad thing. God wants to grow you up into things. The Word of God is what's going to do it. Having the Word of God can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It can be a tough thing. But it can be a good thing. How many of you remember a certain play from the Super Bowl? Anybody not watch the Super Bowl? Everybody watched the Super Bowl. A couple people did not. If you watch the Super Bowl, there may be certain plays. that and Facebook has been full. Top ten plays of the, of the Super Bowl. And I enjoyed watching every single one of them. Because they're all about the Eagles. <laughs> but we all know the Philly special play. I mean, that just was a fun play to, to, to watch. Now, what if, what if the Eagles quarterback said, look, I don't want the ball. I might drop it like Tom Brady did. <laughs> but he didn't do that. And people continually remember him and the play and Trey Burton who threw it and all these, all these things. I heard somebody break down that play. And they said that play, play started by a running back that nobody in the NFL wanted. It was handed off to a tight end that no one really thought would be good enough. Was not even the starting tight end. Was then thrown to a quarterback who went from team to team and no one seemed to think he was good enough. And he was a backup. And when the Eagles went to him, they all thought chances of winning the Super Bowl are over. One play. Three people. No one really thought they had a role. But that ball in their hands 
is what made them memorable. Memorable. You don't remember the people on the field that didn't have the ball. You remember the three people on the field that touched the ball. And you'll probably remember them for the rest of your life. You see, the Word of God may bring persecution into your life, but it also brings things that are memorable and the things that people will remember you by. Don't ever let the Word of God go. Here's the third thing. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the Word and the cares of this world and the steepfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in choking the Word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on the good ground. The final one. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. The enemy couldn't get to them. But if the enemy can, he's going to steal the word from you. He's going to try and crush it if he can't. We're going to get you to drop that word. Or he's going to corrupt it. He's going to try and bring other things in and get your focus and attention on them or try and compromise it in some way. So with that, we're ready to, to dig in here. I want, want to take a look at a couple of promises and how they have become corrupted in some people's minds. And then here, as long as we have time, we're going to get to some things that are going on today that we can see the same principle of corruption involved. In Mark chapter 11, verse 20, I'm not going to teach on all this because you all know these verses of Scripture pretty well. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This is the one that Jesus cursed. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now then here, what is the promise? I left this blank. You can write this in here if you want to. What is the promise that we are seeing? Because this is a promise from God. It is. Here's the promise. The power of saying what you believe from faith in God's word. There is power when you say what you believe from faith in God's word. That's the promise. Now it has been compromised. So I put in here what the promise is not. First off, it is not the power of saying. I hear many Christians who once they get a hold of principles of, of your speech, principles of talking, are so afraid to say some things because they think by me saying it, I empower it. This verse of Scripture is not a promise about the words that you have being powerful. Understand that. If you slip up and say, oh, I'm such a dope, that does not mean you're going to turn into a dope. has nothing to do with that at all. Sometimes we think just the very words, if I let something slip, then that's, then that's what's going to happen. Some people get to this way. They go into the doctor's office. And the doctor says, what's wrong? Nothing. Doctor looks some kind of confused. Well, I'm not sure why you're here. The chart said that you had, uh, and then mentioned the condition. Well, <clears throat> that's not bothering me right now. I'm trying to have a good confession. You see, if I talk about it, then that means I'm putting power to it. No, if you go to the doctor's office and you go to the doctor because something hurts, what you ought to, what you should say is, doctor, my shoulder hurts. Well, let me take a look at that. <laughs> well, if I say that, then my shoulder's going to hurt. I thought it already was. <laughs> I mean, you can't create something that's already in existence. It's already there. Well, I thought it would last longer. You see, we corrupted the promises. The promise never said that there's power in your words, but we've come away with that. The promise is, it is the power of saying 
what you believe from faith in God's Word. Look at what the promise says. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. The words of your mouth must be teamed up with belief. If you don't believe those words, those words have no power. You can go out here and say, as Brother Hagin used to always go around and say, I believe I'm going to receive a hundred oil wells. Well, you can say that, but just because you say it doesn't mean it's going to happen. There needs to be a belief. And look at this back here in the, in the verse, uh, verse 21, I think it is. No, verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. The kind of faith, the kind of belief that he's talking about is faith that is in God, that is in his word. Just because you have faith to believe something doesn't mean you got it from the word of God. What he is talking about is things that you have faith for because of the word of God. Because of what God said. Have faith in God. So it's not the power of saying. It's not the power of your believing. Because you're believing. If that was all that was needed, he wouldn't have been talking about the saying, would he? People will say, well, I believe that God can do this. Well, believing isn't enough. Because in that promise, he talked about saying. So you can have the believing, but you also got to have the saying. Well, I don't like to talk out loud. Well, then you won't get it. If you walk into the grocery store and you try and buy an apple pie and you find an apple pie that you like and you go to the register and you try and buy it and you say, all right, that'll be $5.30. Well, I don't believe in money. Well, then there's no pie for you. Or if you come and say, well, I don't have any money. Can I use something else? They'll say, no. We accept money. That's it. You can't go in there and negotiate the terms. Terms are, if you go into the grocery store, you can pick out whatever it is in there that you want. As long as you have the funds to get it. Either cash or a card or a check or something that says, you can go in there with that, uh, what's that internet currency, Bitcoin. Most grocery stores don't accept Bitcoin. You will walk out with nothing. You have to go in with the currency that they accept. If you went in there with pesos, they would say, they're not any good here. We need dollars. I don't like dollars. Well, then go shop where they like pesos. That's what we got to do. You can't negotiate the terms. Here's the terms. There's saying and there's believing. And the faith must come from faith in God. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is not about the power of praying. This is about the combination of things. Faith in God, building a belief in your heart that you speak out with your mouth. And he says, if you say to this mountain, he does not say if you pray to God about the mountain. Did he? But people will stand in front of the mountain and say, Father God, I believe that you will remove this mountain from me. That's not the promise. The promise is that if you stood in front of the mountain and you said, Mountain, be moved. That it would get up and move. But you'd have to believe, you'd have to believe 
with faith in God in order for that to work. Don't come away bound up, fear about words come out of your mouth. Some of them labor to keep their good, to keep their words good while their beliefs are unkept. Doesn't do any good to make your words real, real good when your belief is a mess. I've, I've heard people, I can, you can tell, it's amazing how easy you can tell this. But some people will come out and they'll be saying something and I can tell right off the bat that words, those words have not engaged any belief. I can hear it. I mean, sometimes I'm sure there's some people I can't hear it with. I'm not saying I hear it with everybody. But there's some people that just make it real, real easy. There's, there, there's no faith in here. There's no belief engaged with the words. And if you want to do this assignment, sit on down today after you get home, start in the Gospel of Matthew, Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just this afternoon. And just sit down and, and read all of them. And you just watch Jesus. Jesus could tell when people had belief with their words and when they did not. It's not too hard to be able to tell. But this is the promise. You can change the promise all you want to, but then it's not the promise of God. If you want God to stand behind it, you got to do what God said. This is what God said. If you went out there and how many have ever bought a new car, used car, new car, on payments. You want to know, you signed the paper, and the paper said you, you owe, let's just pull a number out, $220 every month. $220 is the agreement. You sign it, I will, I put so much money down, and $220 each month. And they, you, you went to pay it the first month, and you said, well, I changed my mind on this, and I only want to pay $150, not $220. What's the people who wrote the note, we're going to say. That's not what you agreed to. You either pay 220 or you give us back the car. <laughs> That's all there is to it. You can't renegotiate the promise. This is the promise. You get in line with the promise. God made a promise to you. And this is what he said in these verses. So if you want that promise to work in your life, that's what you got to do. But glory to God, you do it. It'll work. Now here's one that's really misunderstood. And in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've never heard that. That's a promise, isn't it? There's a responsibility on your end and then God is saying what will happen at the end. But this is what the promise says. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the promise. Here's what people think about it. This is what the promise is not. It is not about prayers and intercession. It does not say the way some people read this. Pray and intercede for your child. And when he is old, he will return to the way of the Lord. That's not the promise, is it? Now, how many, or don't raise your hand. You're praying and interceding for somebody to return to the Lord. If you're using that verse of scripture, folks, you're not using the promise of God. That's not the promise. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is speaking about your child. Because you don't have the right to chain, train someone else's child. You have the opportunity to train yours. Train up a child. It is not about returning to God. That's not what this is about. He says, when I've heard a lot of people talk about this. Well, you train them upright. They will eventually come back to God. That's not what the promise said, is it? What does the promise say? 
When he is old. It doesn't say he will return. It says when he is old, he will not depart. Now, how did we get to that place where it's returned? But that's not what the promise is. Can you see how this has become corrupted? We're, we're putting words in God's mouth. God didn't say that. God said, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart. He didn't say when he is old, he will return. But that's how people hear it. And that's how people believe it. They have faith for it that way. Is it faith of God? No, it's something else. Because it's not what the Word of God said. It is not about taking them to church. Because it does not say, take a child to church, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not what it said, is it? But that's how some people, I took my child to church every single Sunday. What are they doing now? Well, they're not following God, but I know they'll return because the promise of God said. But that's not what it said. There's the last one. It's not, it's not reading or teaching the word. It doesn't say that if you read the word of God to your child, if you teach the word of God to your child, when they're old, they won't depart from it. What does it say? Train. Now, we talked about train a little bit, but you know, my, my best example of train was my little dog Shasta. You may have something else that you've got going on, but whenever you train, whenever you train, there are, there are things that are involved. First off, you can train without reading to the, to the child. Reading can be part of it, but you can train a child without ever reading to him. If you're going to train a child up, it involves several things. First off, if you were, we'll just use it as a dog. If you were going to train a dog, you train a dog by one, encouraging. You encourage the behavior that you want to see. Secondly, you discourage or punish the behavior you don't want to see. That's part of training. Another part of training, very important part of training. If you get involved with anything involving Dog training, if you look at the military, the way they, they train them, there is something very important about training. If you have a police officer who has a dog, if you have a military person who has a dog, not only do they train them on what to do and what not to do, they also build the relationship between the trainee and the trainer. There must be a relationship between the one being trained and the one who is doing the training. If you are going to train up a child, then first off, you need to encourage the behavior that you want to see. You need to find ways of encouraging. In fact, encouraging is the, most, is the foremost thing that you need to do. You need to do more encouraging than you do punishing. If you're going to properly train. Because the reason that a dog, the reason a fish, the reason a bird, whatever it is that you train, the reason that they do the thing that they do is because of the reward not to avoid punishment. I mean, like that eagle that was flying around when the eagles have their home games. Yeah, that, dog, that uh, bird has been trained to do certain, certain activities. We were at the uh, SeaWorld, and SeaWorld has birds all around in the, in the thing in some of the shows. And they trained them to swoop down real close to the people. And so you feel the brush of the birds as they go on by. They don't quite hit you, but they come real, real close to it. They don't do that because they don't want to get punished. They do that because they want the treat. When you see the orcas in the pool, what are they giving them after every time that they do something? Something that they want. 
They give them something to eat. And they, they like that. Encouraging is the most important thing. You've got to find ways to take that child and encourage them to do the things that God wants them to do. Punishment will be involved. But if you are always resorting to punishment, how many have ever seen parents in the Walmart? And they're always punishing the kids. I'm sure it's Walmart that, that does this. My wife and I, we were heading up to to meet up with my daughter and grandkids. And there was a really obnoxious driver in front of us. I mean, he was obnoxious. Just did stuff that no driver should do in the road. And we had to go into the Burlington Coat Factory to meet them. And as we're going, the person in front of us pulls into the same parking lot. There was no way to get them around them. They're bumper-to-bumper traffic the whole way. And so we're going on over there. And I said, he knows he's been aggravating. I said, I'm going to get up real, real close to him and make him think I'm coming after him. <laughs> and as he was, he was going on, we had to go left to go over to the Burlington Coat Factory. He went right. My wife said, well, it figures he's a Walmart shopper. <laughs> I was thinking it, but she said it. <laughs> I have fun with Walmart shoppers. I, if you shop at Walmart, that's fine. You're not one of those people we're talking about. But you all been in the Walmarts, you've been in the stores, and the parents just constantly punish, just threaten, just constantly negative, negative, negative. No wonder they're out of control. They're not training up that child. They're just punishing that child. That's not what's going to be. There's no relationship that's built. You've got to build a relationship. You've got to encourage. You, you have to punish at times. You also have to nourish. If you're going to be a trainer of a dog, you've got to be the one that feeds them. That's the one they're going to, they're going to uh, have the relationship with. They've got to know food comes from me. You've got to be the one who, who gives them the nutrition. So training involves a lot of things, but I want you to watch one more thing on this because this is a part of the scripture that many people are not aware of, even though they have read this over many times. In fact, we have read it over wrong so many times that we'll look at this and we still don't quite see it. So I want you to take a look at this. This is the promise from God. If we're going to get what God says, we've got to do what God said. Train up a child in the way he should go. How many have always heard that? Train up a child in the way that God wants. Train up a child in God's way. Train up a child in the word of God. I mean, those are not bad things, are they? But that is not what it says. Look at this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Which means that there's a responsibility on the trainer to find out from God what it is, what way that they should go. If you find out the way a child is supposed to go and train them to go that direction. They will stay with it even until the time when they are old and they will not depart from it. Now, reading, that's just exactly what it said, isn't it? Now, isn't that different from how a lot of people operate in this? Because the promise became corrupted. And we think something about this. But what he is saying here is you as parents, you as trainers, have a responsibility. Find out what way they are to go. And when you find that out, train them to do it. And when they are old, 
they will not depart from the way. And that way is probably the way that God is telling them to go. Because you as a trainer sought after God to find out what it is. And then God showed it to you and you trained them up to do that. That's a little different from how most of us look at that. But is, is that not what it says? I put in your outline for you. Training is harder and you may seek after God to find out their way. Got to find out their way. God, what is the way that you have for this son or daughter of mine? What is the way? It's important for us to, to know that. Let's go on here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what the promise is. There's a responsibility on our part, and there's a blessing at the end of it if we do it. Here's what the promise is not. It is not peace in any situation. How many of you have ever been involved in a situation and it brought turmoil? And we like to go to that verse of Scripture, the peace of God. Peace of God is mine. Peace of God. No, that's the verse of Scripture saying. Look at it again. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. All right, here's your responsibility. Be anxious for nothing. If you are anxious for nothing except 5% of the things that come against you. If you are anxious for nothing except for two areas, two things that come up. Have you done this? He says be anxious for nothing. That means anxiety has to go. Well, I can't do that. Not in your own strength. But God will teach you how to do it. Because God can train you up them too. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Not begging. Not, oh God. You know how hard it is. It's so tough. He said prayer, not whining. Not whining. We're not begging. In prayer. We take the principles that the Word of God has taught us in prayer. And we put them in. Not what I think prayer is. What the Word of God has taught me prayer is. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Just make your quest known to God. God, this is what's going on. This is what your Word said. I thank you that you do your Word. And you go on. The only reason we have anxiety is because I'm not quite sure that that prayer is going to work. One more thing to look at this. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. you got to put that thanksgiving going on in there. While, uh, while Alyssa was going on and, and ministering here this morning with that... With, with what she was uh, speaking and, and saying to us. Uh, uh, my granddaughter was there. I pulled her over and I says, do you understand what your mama is saying? And she said, no. <laughs> and so I told her, I says, what she's saying, she's calling for people to get a renewed commitment to the thing that God has told them to do. So I asked her this question. This is all going up here in the front seat. You see, it's more important that I bring her into worship than what I'm doing myself. I said, what is it that God has called you to do that you can be renewed to? Not even a, not even a second of delay. She said, be thankful. I said, good for you. She didn't even know the notes. <laughs> didn't even know what the notes was in the notes. She said, be thankful. I said, well, that's good. Then you just renew yourself that you're going to be real thankful today. 
So we'll see what she does. I understand I won't be seeing her too much today. So um, <laughs> I'll have to get the report later on because I'll be reminding her. So mom and dad, it's on you. You guys got to remind her because I, I told on her. <laughs> she doesn't mind. If I thought she'd mind, I, I'd, uh, I wouldn't have said it. But she says, be thankful. She's going to be renewed. That's one of her, her things to do. You know, that's something for all of us to do is to be thankful. But oh, how easy it is for us not to be thankful. It's easy for us to get to a place where we're not thankful anymore because I don't have this and this isn't going on. This promise of God works for you, folks. If you are anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, here's how a lot of people's prayers go. God, I don't have this yet. Oh, you know that I need the rent money. Oh, you know I need the money for the electric bill. Oh, God, you know I need that car. I have to have that car to go into work and if I don't have it, where's the thankfulness? This is why we're anxious. This is why there's no peace in our life because we have not followed this promise at all. This is what the promise says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It doesn't say talk God into it. It doesn't say work to convince God. It says make it known. That's it. God, I'm just making known to you. This is what's going on. This is what your word said. And I thank you, Father. And you put the promises to work. And then you go off from there. They're going to the next one. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We'll get the peace of God. The peace of God will come down upon us. Oh, we all like the peace. But we don't like the other stuff that comes along with it. How many of you all gone into a test in school? Think back to high school. Think back to college. You knew today was test day. Test is coming. Here's the test. And we didn't study. Folks, I have been through tests. I didn't even read the book. I'm going to take a test on a book that I did not even read. Now, can you be at peace? <laughs> I, I would beg to differ on that. You can be at peace if you don't care. <laughs> but for most things that we're coming to God for, we care. We have a concern for it. And we like that peace that comes about us. You see, if I read the book, if I study, and I come into the test, I'm excited. I am ready for this. I had the peace of God because I am ready for this. Do the things that you need to do to get ready for it. I'll tell you what, it'll change things for you. It's not peace in any any situation. It's not available to complainers. This is not available to complainers. It's available for thankful people. It's not available to work for those without faith. You've got to have faith. You've got to have belief. And it's not available just because Jesus loves you. You all like that? Just because Jesus loves me. That's not going to work for you. Because he said, be anxious for nothing. He said that first. We're real good with this with our kids. If we tell our kids... No dinner, no dessert, no dessert till you eat all your dinner, all of your peas, all your carrots, whatever it might be that's, you know, those colored things that they put on the plate. 
Got to eat all them. How many of you couldn't wait for the day when you grew up and you put the food on the table and no one told you you had to eat all the... And if you didn't want it, you didn't put it on the table. You know, I don't have an example to be for kids anymore. My wife will say this all to me all the time. She says, you know, she was, yesterday she was making up some chicken. She had some chicken. Do you want some salad with that? No. <laughs> now, sometimes I'll have a salad with it, but I did not want a salad with it. Now, I don't change my mind. My wife has not come to that realization yet. We've been married for a lot of years. She has not come to realize that I don't change my mind. If I say, no, I don't want salad, you can ask me four times, I still don't want salad because I just don't want salad. If I wanted salad, I would have said yes the first time you asked. But I don't change my mind. I always get that. Are you sure you don't want some? It's good. (laughs) I just bought it. It's all fresh. And she'll try and sell me on it. Don't do any good. I already said no. <laughs> I'm not, not going to do that. But, you know, I'm not going to change God's mind on things either. Now, I wanted to bring some of this into, into today because this constantly goes on. I could go back to just about anything and show you this same principle. But I'm trying to keep it into current events that are happening here now. And we had the kids in here. We kind of jumped ahead to this one by a week or two. Um, because I, the kids are here, I know what you guys are getting in school, getting in school, some of the, these things about this, but this is happening in our, our things today. Um, we'll have people that will go out and make a promise to solve a problem. Our biggest problem right now is every time that we have a school shooting, the problem we want to solve is gun violence. And we want to solve the gun violence. And I saw, I didn't, I did not watch it. I knew better than to watch it, but I heard CNN put on this thing and they brought all the kids from the, High school, and I feel bad for the kids. The kids went through a great trauma. I don't know what it would be like if I was in high school and I saw kids shot like that. Teachers protecting kids and being shot. And people dying. I don't know what it would be like. And I don't try and, and, and judge that or whatever. But I can make a judgment based on what's going on in these things and what it is that they're saying. This, that's real easy to do. I don't know what it was like to be that. I don't know what I would be doing. If I went through all that, but I know that some of these, some of these folks that are involved with this have been duped. One of the things that they did in this CNN rally that I heard that they put together is they, they got, they got the kids to say this. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. We'll show you here at the end and it's very, it's, it's in the word of God that it doesn't work there either, but we'll, we'll show it to you. But the people are saying, the kids are saying they're, they're putting the words in their mouth. We don't want this to be political. Did you ever hear any kids say that? We don't want this to be political. We just need to have a, uh, an answer for taking care of these, this gun violence that's going on in our schools. And then they proceed to talk about things that are political. But they said they aren't political. And they hide them behind the little faces. And so nobody rises up to attack it or tear it down. But it is a political viewpoint. There, regardless of Republican or Democrat, I'm not really talking about them two. To me, there's two schools of thought. There is conservative and there is liberal. And I'm just going to really summarize both of these things. Liberal believes the government is the answer for all problems. You may consider yourself liberal and don't hold to that. I'm not talking about you. I am talking about the liberal person, the, the, the higher-ups that have, the, have this. The liberal mentality is... 
If there is a problem, government will solve it. The conservative mentality is, if there is a problem, government is probably behind it. There is some regulation, there is something that's going on, and somehow the government made this thing worse. Now, I tend to be more on the conservative side than I am on the liberal side. So if I'm looking for a solution, I'm looking for a solution that is outside of government, that is more, and I'm not saying, saying that there's, there's no reason for government. I don't believe that at all. Thank God for government. Thank God for the things that they're supposed to do. Government is, can, be, can be very good. Government can also be very bad. We had a revolution because government became very bad. And that's why we had the revolution to begin with. I don't want to make this about Democrat or Republican. What I want to make it about is the solution. They're coming out here and they're saying it's a solution. They're promising the solution. I'm going to show you how a, how a promise becomes corrupted. But we don't realize it's become corrupted and we accept it. Now, everybody wants to see the gun violence get out of schools. And I saw this little floating around on Facebook. You may have seen it too. How do we protect our presidents? People armed with guns. How do we protect people in Congress? People armed with guns. How do we protect our celebrities? People armed with guns. How do we protect our people in the, in the sports teams when they have a, you know, a game, something going on? What do they have around the stadium? People armed with guns. How do we protect money? People armed with guns. You look at a Brinks truck, what do you know was inside there? Two or three guys with guns. And they all know how to use them. That's what we do that with all these particular things. We protect things like that with guns. Jewelry stores, many of the bigger jewelry stores have what inside? People armed with guns. Because I know the bad people want to come in and to take them. How do we protect our children? Signs. Signs and laws. How is that a solution? I don't understand. In every other situation, we have people with guns to protect what we consider to be important. Every other situation, it's accepted by both Democrat and Republican by conservative and liberal, that a person armed with a gun needs to protect our president. Whether he's a Democratic president, an independent president, or a Republican president, people armed with guns protect them. Same thing with congressmen, whether they are Democratic congressmen, or whether they are Republican congressmen, or whether they are independent congressmen, whether they are male, whether they are female, whether they are white, black, Hispanic, doesn't matter. They are protected by people with guns. But we come to our schools. How is the disconnect there that we think that more laws are going to... And there's a reason for that. I'm not just trying to, to preach to you this thing. There's, I'm going to show you something here, which is why this problem... There is a reason this problem continues. And this can be solved. can be solved very easily. The problem is no one wants to. And if you think, who in the world would not want to solve this? I'll show you exactly who doesn't want to solve it. It's real clear. I also want to remind you this. When we had threats to our airlines and somebody put a bomb in a shoe, what did we do? 
Do we put signs up? No bombs and shoes? What do we make everybody do who goes to the airport now? Every single person must take off their shoes. We had a person who made a bomb out of liquids. So now what happens when you go to the airport? No liquids. Three ounces is all you're allowed of a liquid. Unless it's in your check-in bag. But if you anything you carry it on, three ounces. And you can't have any water or anything else unless you bought it at the airport. See, we, we took immediate action, didn't we? When 9-11 went on, and after 9-11, and people were able to take over the airlines with box cutters and razors and stuff like that, what, did, what kind of action did we do? There's one main action we put in place as soon as that thing was over, and it has been in place since. Air marshals. That someone on almost every, not on, I don't know how many flights, but on some flights, there is an air marshal who has a gun. And no one knows who he is. No one knows where he's seated. And you don't know which air flights have it and which ones don't. And that's a determinant, isn't it? But when we have our kids, we have laws. When we looked at the shooting at the concert, and the guy with all the guns up in the motel room. And they came out from there and their mantra was more gun laws. And yet every gun that that man att- uh, attained was attained illegally. So how are more laws going to help if he already broke them? Now how many know that murder is, is uh, outlawed in this country? Shooting people is not allowed. You don't need to have a sign. Do not murder here because it's the law of the land. So if a person is willing to shoot people and they're willing to break the law there, why wouldn't they be willing to break the law someplace else? I mean, is that not just common sense? You're dealing with people who break the law. They're necessarily not going to follow the law. But I, I looked at, I don't know if anybody looked at this, I've looked at some of the gun laws that they have proposed after some of these things that are going on, Columbine, um, the whatever else, they, they have gun laws that they proposed. Do you know that if you look at the gun laws that they proposed, not a single law that they proposed to pass would have affected the shooter that they're trying to, that they started this whole thing up with. Not a single one. It's just an opportunity to get people to agree to more gun laws. So why is it that we will protect anyone? And there's also this. What happens if there is a threat to a congressman? Say that a senator got a threat. I am going to whatever, blow you up, shoot you, whatever it might be. If they get a threat, what happens? What is the immediate response? Come on, we've all watched Jack Bauer. 24. When a threat comes in, what happens? We take the security that they have and we up it. If you had two people with guns, you now have four. If you had three people with guns, you may have five. We've increased it. We put, whenever there's a threat, we increase the presence of the guns that are there. That's just what we do. 
when we have a threat like we did with this shooting, we had a threat against the school. And the FBI said, well, we couldn't verify the report. But why didn't you increase the security at the school? We do that. We just do that. If there is a threat at an Eagles game, what would happen? There would be a greater police presence. There would be a stricter entrance. You had to go through more and more examination to get in. Things would be upped. But yet when we had this, it didn't work. I saw somebody put up a thing. He said, we had the, the, the shooting at the school in Florida. And we had the threat. The FBI didn't didn't uh, verify it, didn't do anything about it. We had a law officer outside the building and he didn't do anything about it. And it listed all the people who failed, but the reason was there's not enough gun laws. Come on, really? If you're serious about changing this thing, what would you do? If you were a, a legislator and you were serious about changing, about protecting our kids, if you really wanted to keep them safe, what would you do? I don't care if you're a Democrat, I don't care if you're Republican, I don't care if you're conservative, and think no government, I think you're liberal, and think all government, whatever, what would you do if the kids have a threat? Put someone in there who can stop it. One of the great examples I heard on this is back in, in England. We didn't live there. How many saw the, the movie Churchill? Nobody? I want to see it. I haven't seen it yet, but I am going to see the movie Churchill. You, did you already see it? No, you didn't. I'm going to, I'm going to see it. Men's night out. Let's go see Churchill. I want to see that one. That's, that's going to be a, a, a good movie. Uh, but Churchill, I mean, we know that what's going on in, in England and they were being bombed by the Nazis. They were coming there bombing their houses. People, just regular, not even military people were dying. We're losing their homes. We're losing their businesses. Fires. Pe- non-military people were affected by these bombings. What did they do to stop it? Let me give you a couple of suggestions here. Churchill passed some laws that said there shall be no bombs dropped on cities. That's not going to do it? Oh, heaven if they all came out of the building and they said, no more bombs, no more bombs. Would that change anything that's going to happen? Would anyone think that would change anything that was going to happen? What is it to change the Nazis' idea about bombing the cities in London. They bombed them back and they threw so much force at them that eventually their forces were, were pulled back until we conquered them and they didn't stop bombing until they surrendered. And the only reason they surrendered was because they, they faced a greater force than they could put out. We have that common sense with stuff like that. But when we think about our kids, I don't know, if I was a parent and I had kids in school, I'd insist, who do you have to guard my child? I would ask them that. If you get enough parents to come in there and say, who do you have to guard my child? I've told you about it here. We have people to guard you here. It's very low key. You don't see it, but I guarantee you, anybody walks inside this place and desires to do you harm will not be successful. We don't put signs outside we don't make chance. We made preparations. But we don't do it with our kids. There's a reason for it. You see, because when a politician is shot, 
it doesn't always tug on our emotions. Sometimes we didn't like the politician. When a celebrity is shot, we may not have liked the celebrity. But you know what? When a child gets shot, what happens? Every single person feels it. Every single person is remorseful. Every single person wants to see change. There is no other issue that politicians can use that will tug at your heartstrings more than a school shooting. And what we have done in this country is that we have opened the doors and we say all of our schools are gun-free zones. So every single person who has a desire to do these things knows there's no guns in there. I won't be stopped. Does that make sense? What if Brinks made an announcement and said, for now on, we're tired of all this gun violence. So for now on, when our guys are carrying all the piles of money around, they will not have any guns on their person at all. They won't do that, will they? But we do it with our schools. This transcends Republican, Democrat. This transcends liberal and conservative. This, tra- this is just common sense, folks. If you want to deter bad guys, you've got to have good guys that are armed like they are. That's the only way to do it. I've heard a lot of things proposed. Teachers having arms. They, people say, well, we don't want concealed carry going on in our schools. The problem is, folks, we have concealed carry going on in our schools. That's why the people are being shot up. Because they're coming into the school and no one saw that they had the gun. They concealed it, carried it right in. Can't be doing it. I heard some of the things that were that were going on. The NRA was blamed. How many have heard the NRA being, being blamed? You know the NRA pushes for more things for people that do not that should not have guns to make sure that they don't get them. The NRA pushes for that. We were throwing around some numbers here on on Wednesday because I had done some of the research on it. The only reason I could do it. The NRA has given in 20 years $200 million to political campaigns. 20 years, $200 million. That is $10 million a year. I pulled up the um, labor union. This comes out of the Huffington Post. Not a, a document that I would ever read on my own. It amounts to at least one quarter of all unions spending uh, political contributions, one quarter of all union spending. An analysis by the Huffington Post found that labor unions spend more than $1.7 billion on politics and lobbying in the 2012 election alone. $1.7 billion in one election. And the people at fault put $200 million in 20 years. Mark Rubio. Marco Rubio, he was, uh, he was one of the ones at the thing. He was being flagged, and, and I mean, the things that were said to him, they shouldn't have been said. Do you know how much he received from the NRA? $9,900. I think they had to keep it under 10000 for whatever reasons. I don't know what they were, or maybe that was their goal, whatever it was. $9,900 in 2016 he received. How much do you think that's going to buy you? The NRA, folks, is not the culprit here. I've heard it even said that the NRA trained the, the shooter. Have you ever heard about that? You don't know what's going on. Because what they did was they took something that the NRA was involved with, and that thing that they were involved with was over here, and then that thing had an influence on this, and then that thing trained him. I mean, it was not a direct, direct, direct deal at all. 
but the NRA is losing sponsorship. If you have an NRA membership, now you don't get your discount in certain places because that's the thing to do because they're the bad guy. Folks, they're not the bad guy. It's the lawmakers that don't want to put someone in our schools to protect them. we got teachers in our schools, we got teachers in Tallahassee, Florida, that are willing to put their body in front of a child to keep that child alive and took the bullets themselves until they died. Wasn't that the football coach? Yeah, football coach. Protected the student with his body. Now, if you put a gun in that person's hand, what do you think he would do with it? You think he put his life at risk to save the rest of them if he had a gun in his hand? If he put his life at risk when he had no gun? You don't have to arm the whole, the whole time. I heard people, they were talking about, uh, I guess the president made a suggestion of uh, concealed carry into schools. And they immediately went to the direction, you can't put have every teacher be armed. He never said have every teacher be armed. All you're looking for is one or two. We're not looking to have every passenger armed in the airplanes, are we? We're looking for one. Tell the air marshal, one air marshal. That's it. It's not even on every flight. One air marshal. You have one. If, if they, don't, they know one person in that school has a gun, how quick are they going to be to go in there? I don't know who it is. I don't know who's got it. I heard one, one, one school in Texas. Did you hear about this one? Encouraged their students to bring canned goods to put in their desks so that if a gunman came in, they could throw the cans at him. Actual school in Texas decided to take uh, action on their own. And to, to, well, I mean, you see a can flying at you and you got a gun. You, I mean, that's going to have an effect upon you. It's not quite the same effect as a gun. But it's going to have an effect upon you. Evil will not yield to what is right and good unless it benefits them. That's just the way evil is. Good will do what is beneficial to themselves and others or even just others. But they won't do something that's just benefiting themselves. That's not good. Didn't God do some things that would benefit others and didn't benefit Him? Because He's good. Evil won't do that. Put this in your outline, I believe. Why do the solutions change when children are involved? It is is perhaps a solution is not truly desired. Now, why would that be? And we're going to bring this right on back to the promises of God because it's the exact reason. The reason I'm bringing all this up is because this is tugging at your emotions now. This is tugging at your heartstrings. This is pulling on you now. You've heard the stories. You've seen the people. You saw the funerals. The Bible teaches you what works. Stay with what works. Don't veer off it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Follow that scripture. Don't put your own interpretation on it and follow that way. Put this in your outline for you. When emotions get involved, compromises are made. When emotions get involved, compromises are made. Now you've done this yourself. Don't say you have it. We all know... God will bless your finances when you give and you tithe. How many of y'all know? God will bless my finances when I'm a giver, I'm a tither. God will bless my finances. We believe that. We've seen it in the Word. We've lived it. We know it's true. And if somebody were to come up to you in church and they say, I can't pay my rent, what's one of the first questions you're going to ask them? 
Are you? You're going to ask them that. Are you a tither? Well, this is part of the problem. <laughs> Isn't it? You're going to be addressing that. You're going to be working on that. But say that Uncle Charlie is about ready to be homeless. They need some, need some money, needs an operation, needs something. And you are close to Uncle Charlie. You love to Uncle Charlie. He's helped you ever since you were little, growing up. And he hasn't gone to church. He hasn't paid his tithes. He hasn't done anything, followed after God at all. And you know what the Word of God says, but you come to God in prayer and you say, God, please help Uncle Charlie. Don't let him get kicked out of his house. Why? Because as tough as you are with the word on someone else, you give in on Uncle Charlie because your emotions got stirred up. When your emotions get stirred up, folks, you make compromises. How many of y'all know, don't date an unbeliever? And we've held that. I'm not going to date an unbeliever. No, they've got to be a believer for me to, for me to date them. Absolutely. I mean, I did that when I was a kid. If you didn't, if you were a girl and you didn't go to church, as far as I was concerned, you were ugly. <laughs> and that's, I truly believe it. You were just downright the ugliest thing I'd ever seen. I, there was not a single girl that did not go to church that I found attractive. Not a single one. There's a lot of them went to church that I didn't find attractive either. <laughs> but, but if you didn't go to church, I did not ever find, you know, I was in school. Lots of girls around there. I mean, they were not clamoring for me. I'm not trying to tell you anything like that. But I wasn't clamoring for them either. It's like, stay away from me. Didn't, didn't need any of that kind of stuff going on. But you all know that you'll hold to that until all of a sudden you see someone across the way. Oh, wow. I mean, they are attractive. <laughs> and the little voice comes up inside. Are they born again? Oh, I'm sure they are. No one could be that good looking and not be a follower. Of... <laughs> and we find out that they're not born again. What do we say? I can't get them born again. I know I can. We can, we can do this. I'm going to bring them out to church. And, you know, we make compromises and, and we make, make things. But Charles Stanley, he had the, I've, it's been a while since I shared it with you, but he had the best example on missionary dating I had ever heard. And how many have seen Charles Stanley on the, on the TV? Not the radio, on the TV. Seen Charles Stanley. How many have never seen Charles Stanley on the TV? Wow. All right. A couple of people. Uh, if you've seen Charles Stanley on the TV, picture his stage. His stage has, I would say, seven or eight steps to it to get up to the top. It's a, it's about that far. And so he did this thing where he got up at the top of the stairs and he said, missionary dating is like this. He says, you reach down to pull people up to your level, but they can't quite reach. And so you, you step down, but they still can't quite reach. So you step down again. Now he's got seven or eight steps. I got one. <laughs> and you step down again and you step down again. And he said, and pretty soon you're on the same level that they are. He says, that's what missionary dating will do in your life. I love that example. I, I don't know how many, I mean, it was years, many, many years ago, decades we're, we're talking about that I heard that. And I still remember that one because we will make com compromises when our emotions are involved. It's easy to have a no dating, non-Christian policy when I don't like any of them. 
The problem comes in is when I'm attracted to one. When our emotions get involved, we compromise. And the powers, the powers that be know that you won't compromise on the Second Amendment or gun laws because of a politician being shot or a celebrity being shot. But when a child is shot, you will make compromises because we need to stop this thing and we need to solve it. And yet what they propose has never solved any of the issues they have at hand. It wouldn't have stopped the war. They wouldn't employ it with their celebrities, with their sports teams, with their diamonds or their dollars. But they will do it with your kids. I don't care what side of the fence you're on, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. If you want to protect something, you put the best thing forward that you got. Because that's what you want to do. You want to protect. When they say it's not political, folks, it is. And they have made it political by disguising it as if it's not. They get their words to be echoed by little kids instead of them saying what's actually on their minds. Just as this issue can compromise you on things that you may not otherwise have compromised on, God's promises may have been compromised as well. Don't compromise the promises of God. Anytime that you are going to stand on a promise and pray that promise any time. Go to the Word of God. Read over that promise. Know that promise. Let God teach you on that promise. Make sure your emotions are not involved. Listen. Listen to what God is speaking to you. And then you pray the promise. Pray the promise. Not the compromise. Not the compromise. Would you all stand up with me? I'm sure you all have different opinions on what happened in the shooting and solutions that can come about. But folks, I think all of us would say we want a solution that's going to stop it. And it seems odd to me that in every other instance, we will pick the same solution. Except... When it comes to our schools and our kids. Why? Why could that possibly be? I believe our kids need protection. I think anything short of putting an armed people in each one of our schools. No matter hire new people. Give guns to the to the teachers. Make sure that they're trained. Folks, we don't have people with guns uh, around here that aren't trained. We make sure that they're trained. We make sure that they know how to handle the things that they're, they're doing. We take them out on a regular basis to make sure that they continue to be that way. The idea is not to put guns in the hands of people who can't handle them. That's a dangerous thing. But I bet you in any given school, there are two or three teachers who not only own a gun, but go out to a shooting range and 
and shoot it and are very adept at handling it. How many vets do we have that are teachers in our schools who have been trained how to handle guns? If you wanted to solve this problem, you could solve it. But the fact that it continues to linger on tells us that no one in the positions that be really desire to solve this problem. And when they come and they pick on the president because he solved the problem and says, hey, let's give them the same protection we give our presidents, our congressmen, our money, our diamonds, let's give them the same protection. And they come and they pick on him and put him down. That tells you what their desire is for a solution. Regardless of all that, what is the promise that you're standing on? Of the three promises we went over today, how many of you can see that it had become corrupted in your mind? Isn't that amazing? And you all desire, with everything in you, you desire to know what the Word of God is teaching you. And yet, it has become corrupted so that what you are praying, what you're asking God for is not what the promise said. Don't ever go into prayer with a promise without going to the Word and reading it. I'm going to read this promise again. What does it say that I have to do? Did I do it? What does it say is available for me? What does it say God is going to do? Because when you pray the promise, you pray something that God has, He is willing to give, and He told you how to receive it. Every single time, in those promises. Father, we thank you for your promises. They are good promises. Sometimes our emotions have gotten involved and we have corrupted those promises. We've made compromises on those promises. But we want to go back to your word. We want to check on what your word has to say and make sure that there are no compromises. That we are believing and asking exactly what you said you would do. We know our emotions will get involved. It's hard for that not to happen. We just have to be on guard against any compromises that would come in because of how we feel about the situation. I thank you, Father, that we can go out here to, today to stand on your word, to stand on your promises. As the song goes, standing on the promises of God. We can stand on those promises. And you will turn our lives around. Victory out of what seems like defeat. Because we stand on your promises. We thank you for it and give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of praise reports before we go. Chris Barnes said over the last five months, I have been helping another financial advisor to my office who uh, it's just so much easier when I put these on when I'm <laughs> who was terminally ill. My company policy is that you have to work together one year before the accounts would be automatically transferred to me, which was my coworkers' wish. Oh, I thought there was more to it than I'm. Well, that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> In December, management told me 
that the accounts will be distributed to the office. I decided to believe that things would work out and decided to service the clients exceptionally well and kept my promise to the financial advisor that I would take care of his clients. The financial advisor passed away on February the 13th. Last week, I was told that a substantial number of the clients are staying with me. Also, several of the financial advisors in the office are refusing to count saying they belong to me. Wow. <laughs> that is just neat. That's what knowing what God says he'll do and standing with it. Glory to God for that. That's all that I, I see on there. All right. Well, before we, we go here today, it looks like we are on board with um, doing the egg hunt on the 25th. In fact, if you look at your outline, your, your bulletin, you'll see we have the 25th, that's Palm Sunday, that's the egg hunt. The following one is uh, Resurrection Sunday. I just put, that's going to be our Resurrection Sunday sc- service schedule. Most of you know what that is. We will put it in detail later on, but just reminding you, that's what's going on. And we are not having to cover dish on the first Sunday in April. We will go to the second Sunday in April because I'm sure that none of you want to hang out here for Resurrection Sunday dinner. We'll do it the, the week after that. So that's just giving you the, the rundown on on all that. But we still could use a few more volunteers. I mean, we got just enough to get some things going, but we could sure use some more. So if you haven't volunteered, it is a fun day. It's going to be on Sunday, so we'll just uh, stay here after service and uh, be the Palm Sunday, the Sunday before before uh, Resurrection Day. If you can do that, haven't volunteered yet and can help out, see my daughter before you go, uh, 